When we think about Christmas, there are many people we think about that are part of that historical moment. We think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We talked a little bit about her last week and some of the things that she processed. We think about the angels, the wise men, the famous innkeeper who gets his reputation for all of eternity because of one oversold night. (laughs) That's all we know about him. And of course, Joseph, the humble, gentle carpenter who was Jesus' father. How many of you have a nativity set in your house that you set up for Christmas? You talk about the different roles and, and uh, responsibilities and what happened with each person. Well, today I want to start our message talking about a man in the Bible named Joseph, uh, but not Jesus' father. It's a different Joseph. And we'll talk about Jesus' father in just a little bit. But this particular man named Joseph is found in the Old Testament in chapters 37 through 41. And it tells of the account, um, well, it tells a lot about Joseph, but in those chapters, excuse me, it tells the account of the low and the high points of Joseph's slavery experience. And so it really was a roller coaster. He um, was sold into slavery by his own brothers because they were jealous of him. And theologians believe that this... um, amount of time that he was in slavery was about 12 years. You don't always see that in the scripture, how many years things are happening, but he's, he's in slavery for about 12 years, and it's terrible, and it's lonely, and it's desolate, and he's hungry at times, and he's cold, and he's ignored, and he's purposeless, and lost, and tired, and trapped, and, and, and he's falsely accused, and he's misrepresented, and he's mistreated, and, and he's living in this kind of living hell experience for almost 12 years of his life. And the scripture says that how Joseph would cope, how he would get through these days, is he would rehearse the stories of God on every dark and seemingly hopeless day. He he would rehearse the stories about his great-grandfather, Abraham, who was promised the gift of a child, but Abraham's wife was barren. And this promise that God gave Abraham's wife incubated for 25 years before Isaac was born. Isaac was Joseph's grandfather. Then Rebekah, Joseph's grandmother, was promised by God that Uncle Esau would serve his younger twin brother Jacob And when Joseph remembered this faith story, I could imagine maybe when he even told the other prisoners about it or he began to to think about it, perhaps he got a little choked up because Jacob was Joseph's dad. Now, here's the thing. These stories weren't just read to him as a child. In the New Testament, these stories were just, you know, read and talked to and, and, and verbally passed on. They weren't just talked about in church on Sunday, like I'm telling you who these people are. But this was the account of his own family. The scripture was written about people that he loved and ate dinner with and talked to every day. These promises were made to his generation. And so Joseph could sit around and think about the promises that God made to his father and his grandmother and his grandfather. And in this time, Joseph was in slavery. The scripture says that he had these vivid dreams from God when he was sleeping. Um, These dreams that that showed the calling that God put on Joseph's life to be a leader, 
to be a champion of justice, to rule over many people and the nations. And he was getting these dreams as he was locked up in prison, hopeless. I believe God still speaks this way, even today, that God may speak to you in a dream. God may tell you something about your life or, or your purpose or, or something prophetically through dreams, but Joseph, he could not shake the deep conviction that God was going to bring these dreams to pass. It was not just the gross prison food that was causing him to dream this, these things. That these were actual promises from God that were coming to him. And as outlandish and insane as these dreams sounded, even to himself, Joseph could not deny the strange pattern he saw in God's track record. God would make stunning promises and then ordain time and circumstances to work in such a way as to make the promises seem impossible to fulfill. But then, when the time was just exactly right, God himself would move. And the common thread that Joseph traced through all of the stories, through the stories of his grandfather and his great-grandfather, and even the things he was experiencing, the one thing that God seemed to honor and bless more than anything else was faith. Abraham trusted God's word. Isaac trusted God's word. Rebecca trusted God's word. Jacob trusted God's word. All of them ultimately saw God's faithfulness to his promise, despite circumstances and even their own mess-ups. But the strange part is that sometimes uh, when we would get their lives on course, when they would trust God, their circumstances would get worse and not better. Joseph was living this life of, of trusting in God's word, and then all of a sudden he found himself in prison for 12 years. We get confused, we get mixed up, we think to ourselves, we must be doing this wrong because this all looks worse, it feels worse. I began to follow God and, and, and things are not even going exactly what I thought. I'm in trouble, I may be even in more trouble, I have more problems. How could this be God? And when you find yourself asking that question, it is then that knowing God's promises, knowing his ways are so critical because if you don't understand it, you may confuse the character of who God is. But faith in God is what sustains us in these desperate moments. Now Joseph's life has a fairy tale ending. Uh, not every person in scripture could claim this, but through a series of twists and turns and God's faithfulness, we see what happens in Genesis 41. Now this is a spoiler alert if you've never read the story, okay? Genesis 41, four through 43, it says, 41 through 43, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. <laughs> it all worked together for good. Joseph couldn't see the end of his story when he was in the middle of it. But there's this line in a Rend Collective song that just has stuck with me ever since I heard it. It says, what's true in the dark is still true in the light. All, all along, when Joseph felt it or not, he was gonna be a king. 
but he didn't know it. But he trusted the faithfulness of God that Joseph went from prisoner to king. Now this Christmas, we're looking at Christmas carols. We're, we're looking at the, the theology behind each of them as we prepare for our Savior's birth. And today's Christmas carol, if you haven't figured out the theme yet of today, it beckons a certain group of people, the faithful. It's, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And you better believe Joseph would have been leading the three-part harmony on this one. Because he understood the faithfulness of God and what God called him to. And what Joseph came to learn firsthand in his prisoner to king transformation is that his actions, his misgivings, his decisions never changed the faithfulness of God. Sometimes in the small mindedness of humanity, I think we think that God reflects us. We are the center of the universe, and somehow like everything spins around our small life. So if our faith is small, then God is kind of weak and pathetic, like an absent father. But, but if, our, if our faith is big, then God turns into this larger-than-life provider for us. But it's all centered around how we feel and what we sense and what season of life we're walking through. If we feel like God is just, you know, present, we have this sense that he's big and sovereign. But if we feel like he's sort of absent, we wonder if he's even around. And we make it all about how we feel. I remember in college being challenged by this friend who had atheist beliefs. And and, and we would walk and walk and talk, and I would try to ask him questions. Well, well, if there's no afterlife, then where do souls go after they die? Do they just get buried in the ground? Or, or how do you determine what's good? How do you decide what's moral if, if there's no you know, universe, if there's, if there's nobody establishing that? And, and I remember he would say to me over and over and over, Nicole, you can believe in God. You, go ahead. You can believe he created all these things. You can believe that you're going to heaven and that he sets a standard for morality. But I don't have to. It can be your reality. It doesn't have to be my reality. And that would infuriate me because I didn't know what to say to that. Because he was basically saying, go ahead. God can be real in all those things that you believe to you. And I remember really specifically one fall morning praying for my friend, and God revealing to me, like a, like a good, good father, like he always does, that my friend didn't have to believe in God for God to be real. In fact, none of us have to believe in God for God to be real. That our experiences with God don't make him more of a reality. That our feelings about God don't measure actually who he is. In fact, if no one on the planet believed that God was reigning on the throne, God would still be reigning sovereign on the throne. <laughs> that would still be happening. People may not believe Jesus is coming back, but he is. I mean, whether you believe it or not, God is going to do it. He is not some folk legend that gets his power from the amount of people who spread his story around. And when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Amen. And that's the takeaway today. And that's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day with my friend, is that even though he was faithless, that changed nothing about God being faithful. 
Now, this is found in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 19. This is, this is the verse that surrounds it, and I want to just unpack this a little bit together. It says, verse 8, Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So Paul, in these verses, he's giving reasons. He's giving foundation stones. He's giving arguments. He's saying, Timothy, embrace your faith. Embrace the suffering that could happen in your faith. Embrace the persecution. Because here's how you can be confident and courageous and faithful. When your faith is weak, you don't have to bow out. Because God's faith never weakens. His faithfulness never changes based on the season or the times of our life. And so press on in the work that God is calling you to do. Be faithful. Don't run away from suffering. Embrace it because God is worthy of it. And so I just want to look at this a little bit, what Paul says to Timothy, and, and encourage us with it today. Encourage us around Christmas to stay faithful because God is will be forever and ever, no matter what we say or do, no matter what the trajectory of our lives are, God will remain faithful. So at first he says in verse eight there, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Paul is saying, remember Timothy, Jesus is alive and he's triumphant. And, and, and that same spirit lives in you. And so no matter how serious your suffering becomes, the worst possible thing they can do to you is kill your mortal body. And Jesus has even taken the sting out of death. So that's not even a threat. Matthew 10, 28 reminds us that we should not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And then he goes on to say, this resurrection is not random. It's the resurrection of the son of David. See, descended from David. Paul said it this way because every Jewish person knew what that meant. Every Jewish person knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's like Paul is saying, Timothy, remember, Jesus, the one you serve, the one for whom you suffer, he is alive and he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So no matter what they do to you, you do not need to be afraid because if Christ has conquered the last enemy, what can man do to you? And I, and I believe if this hymn was written all those years ago that they would sing, yes, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joyful and triumphant, come let us adore him because when we are faithless, God is faithful. And that's why we sing that with such confidence and, and such scripture behind it. And then he goes on to verse 9. He says, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. We can feel beat down and alone and wonder if, if this cause that we're living for is ever going to come to pass. We, we can be afraid to share our faith. We, maybe we're praying for people whose hearts don't seem to be changing. Or maybe we're having conversations with people like I had, just believe in your God and I'll believe in mine and we'll all just 
live happily ever after. It may, it may look like Christians are losing traction in schools and in government and in culture. I mean, it's easy to panic when the world around us seems to be losing morality by the second. Am I right? Like, what's going to happen? But Paul reminds us, and I just love this, it says that the word of God is not chained. That the enemy of the, enemies of the gospel can imprison the preachers of the gospel. They can try to silence them. They can kick us out of schools and governments, but they cannot imprison the gospel. The word of God cannot be stopped. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive and he is king and he cannot be stopped. And he promised the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Matthew 24, 14. We are on the winning team. Even when the natural does not portray that. We can sing, O come all ye faithful, come joyful and come triumphant. Come let us adore him. Because when the world is faithless, God himself is faithful. And his word will not ever be bound. So then Paul continues, verse 11. He say, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, these verses are saying, I want to be really clear here, that if you accept Christ as your Savior, when you die you will be reunited with him in heaven and, and live there with him for eternity. It says if you endure with him, if you stay faithful on earth, then you will reign with him. This is sure. You can be 100% confident in this truth. Your life does not have a surprise ending. If you are a follower of Christ on earth, you have a promise that you will be with Jesus forever. However, the scripture goes on to say, if you deny Jesus on earth, then he will have no choice but to deny you to his Father in heaven. And as confident as you can be that you will go to heaven after you die if you accept Christ into your life, you can be equally confident that if you do not accept Christ into your life, you will not go to heaven. That's what the scripture says. I don't like it, but that's what it says. There is no lucky winners. There's no golden ticket. There's no uh, mistake at the gate. It's Jesus or it's life without Jesus. And it will happen whether you believe that or not. It will happen to everyone whether they believe it or not. I think sometimes we get caught up in, well, that's not my faith, or that's not what I think, and somehow we feel like we can avoid that consequence. But the truth is, Jesus, you accept Jesus on earth, you're guaranteed Jesus in heaven, 100% confidence. If you don't, whether you believe that or not, that is the trajectory of eternity. Romans 3, 3 through 4 says this, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone 
were a liar. liar. O come, all you faithful, come and behold him. And so if this morning you're here and you're not sure, I want to encourage you not to mess around with that. You can be 100% confident that you are going to be in heaven with Jesus if you make that commitment to him. And if you want that confidence, after service, I want you to come down and talk to the pastors right down here. There's several of them. They'll be, love to talk to you about it because that's why we get up on Monday morning and come to work. Is because every single minute of our lives, we want people to live in confidence of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I want nothing more than for you to know the Savior and not just the story. So I told you we'd get back to the other Joseph today. The Joseph in the nativity story. Now, faith was a vital part of Christ's birth. I don't know if you know all these details, but in Matthew 1, it explains that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, this is what that means. Culture was a bit different then. Marriages were arranged by the parents of the bride and groom, and often without even consulting the couple uh, to be married. So a contract was prepared in which the groom's parents paid a bride price. Now, such a contract was immediately deemed binding. So as soon as that contract was given, they were betrothed, they were together, but the couple was considered married, even though the actual ceremony or consummation of the marriage would not occur, sometimes up to a year afterwards. And so the time between was sort of this testing of fidelity with the couple, they having little or any contact with each other. Okay, and so this is the phase that Mary and Joseph are in, and Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, we all know it's by the Holy Spirit, but to the common onlooker, it looks a bit suspicious, right? In Deuteronomy 22, the Old Testament law talks about what would happen in the culture in this certain scenario. If Joseph uh, confessed he wasn't the father, then Mary would be deemed an adulteress, condemned, potentially stoned, killed. If Joseph lied and said he was the father, then their reputations would be tainted. They would probably be kicked out of their community. And the qualifications of Jesus the Messiah as written in the scripture wouldn't have come to pass. So no pressure, Joseph, you know. I mean, lose-lose. You can't say it. So Joseph, he's got a lot at stake. And through a dream and an angelic message, he comes to a decision, and he keeps Mary as his wife, and he serves as the father of the Lord Jesus. And he protects him from danger, and he teaches him carpentry, and he teaches him how to fish, and he snuggles him to bed at night. He does all those things that good awesome fathers do. And again, just like in the Old Testament, we watch God make stunning promises and then ordain time and circumstances to work in such ways that the only explanation could possibly be that God did it. <laughs> because there was an impossible scenario, but God did it, God moved. And again, we see that the one thing that God seemed to honor and bless more than anything else was faith. Because Joseph trusted God's word, Mary trusted God's word, and God honored their faith. And, and get this, get this. 
there is no biblical record of Joseph's death, okay? It's speculated that Joseph may have died a natural death between their visit to the temple when Jesus was 12, but before the baptism of Jesus when he was 30. And if the scholars are correct, this means that Joseph never lived to see Jesus fulfill the prophecy of him dying on the cross for salvation of the world. Joseph met three angels who prophesied that Jesus would save the world and be a sacrifice for many, but he never even lived to see it. His entire life, he waited for this promise in faith. He trusted for this promise, but he never saw it on this side of heaven. In some ways, I believe that Joseph's faith was bigger and deeper than everyone else who actually got to see with their own eyes who Jesus was indeed who he says he was. Because Joseph lived a whole life of faithfulness as a father, trusting that Jesus was going to do everything he said, but he never even lived to see it with his own eyes. He never even lived for the guy down the road to say, hey, you were right about that. He had to live in the faithful promises of God that no matter what he sees or doesn't see, that Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling over the earth. And no matter what our feelings are, he is indeed who he says he is. And this Christmas, I am praying that we could have faith like Joseph. That even when we don't see the promise, that our faith is big enough to live for it. The band is going to come up, and would you guys stand? This is written in Hebrews 11, and I want to read it this morning before we sing this final song. And it says this. Maybe if you would just close your eyes, and if you want to, you can put your hands up like this and just receive this word these promises of scripture, just be praying that we could have faith like Joseph. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world. He became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to even tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground, and they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Jesus, I pray that we would be faithful. God, that we could join that Hebrews 11 chapter, Father, that we would come, all ye faithful, that we would come and behold him.